You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I'm speaking this morning on a message I'm entitled, uh, I have entitled Jacob's Awakening. And it is on insights I've received over the years about the kingdom of God. And Jesus emphasized revelation and how it is that we don't understand everything we need intellectually or academically. Did you hear that? But some very major understandings only God can truly reveal to us. And Paul actually prayed for the Ephesians church. And I want to I pray this prayer before I, I continue. Let me say this first, though. When Peter told Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, when Jesus was asking, the, apparently the apostles who people say, what people say about Jesus as to who he is, when Peter answered that way, Jesus said, blessed are you. Hear this, blessed, we're blessed when God opens our eyes. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who? My Father who is in heaven. And Paul prayed this way in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And why don't we do this? Why don't we, why don't we stand up and let's pray this. Let's, let's ask God for help this morning in seeing more about who Jesus is, what he does, and why it's important to us. But Paul said that he did not cease to give thanks for the Ephesians church, making mention of you in my prayers. And we pray this this morning uh, in, in, in union, even with the great apostle Paul from years ago, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of our hearts or the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches, the riches, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, the saints. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to tackle some of my favorite some of my favorite verses of Scripture, Genesis 22. Um, and I've got it on an overhead, so you can uh, read this as I read it. But I love these verses. These verses are just pregnant with insight, um, ideas. And uh, so verse 10. Now... Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took up the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God 
were ascending and descending. So what were the angels of God doing? They were going up and coming down. Were they coming down and going up? No, they were here. They were going up and they were coming down. We'll talk about that more later. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the God, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth. Thank you for that. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. A little bit of the background to this episode. It focuses on an ep- and this it focuses on the life of Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of our faith. Immediately prior to this story, Jacob had been deceptive in dealing with his father as he pursued financial benefit and authority in the family, both of which didn't belong to him, but rightly belonged to his brother Esau. Through the process, he so offended Esau that Jacob ran for his life to his uncle Laban's house until things hopefully cooled down at home. His trip was both hasty and amazingly eventful. This narrative describes the kindness of God as he revealed himself to Jacob for perhaps the very first time on the very first night of this journey. Listen to this. Even though Jacob was tricky, somebody say tricky, two-faced, deceitful, fraudulent, deceptive, and dishonest, God still revealed himself in goodness and faithfulness to him in a most remarkable way. So, Right off the heels of a very deceitful, dishonest, conniving, premeditated thing that Jacob did, God reveals himself to him. Now, here's something we shan't forget. Don't forget that repentance is essential. You see, I think too many times we hear of the mercy of God, displays it to the undeserving, and presume it's okay to stay in that condition. Well, it's really not. Matter of fact, Paul said God commands all people everywhere to repent. We have to take responsibility for our behavior. Nevertheless, God doesn't wait till our behavior changes to help us because our behavior can't change really till he does help us. Anybody paying attention? So don't forget, repentance is essential. The goodness of God leads us to repentance, it says in Romans 2.4. And so when we see God 
um, helping these people who obviously don't deserve it, the message we should get is not that, oh, that's common everyday behavior and everybody's okay that way. No, the message is even though you are that way, God will come into your life and change you. Okay. In Genesis 28, we just read verse 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and he said this, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I've heard people in the past say, How could God be somewhere and you not know it? Well, if he's everywhere at all times and you don't know it, there are times he manifests himself in remarkable ways. But Jacob discovered that God was in a place he did not expect him to be in. And if you read the text closely, it says that Jacob spent the night there because the sun had set, and it was where the sun had set that God met him. And to me, in a revelatory sense, it means this. Everywhere the sun sets, God's willing to meet you. That's part of the revelation of the kingdom. It's here, it's now, but it's not readily observable in some ways. But it comes manifest in the lives of people who exercise understanding and faith. So Jacob wakes and he says, God is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. He concludes this. This is a magnificent place. He was sleeping in the bush with his head on a rock. Then he says, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Wow. God is gracious. Can we say that together? He is. Jacob did not deserve his life-changing encounter with the Lord. He just tricked his brother out of both his birthright and his blessing. He was running away for fear of his life. And he did what he did in a premeditated way. Deception and dishonesty. Well, this tells us more about God maybe than it tells us about Jacob, but it does tell us a lot about Jacob, doesn't it? But one remarkable thing to emphasize the goodness of God. God calls himself in Exodus 3, 6, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Doesn't say God of Israel there in that context, but he's Jacob's God too. He's the God of people like that, like you. Oh, God calls himself the God of Jacob. He identifies with Jacob before his nature changed although his nature needed to change. Now, let me try to rumble or wrestle through some ideas here that I think are mean the world to me. When we read through the text, we discovered that Jacob had a ladder. Let's say Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder. Well, in John 4, Jacob had a well. Jacob had a ladder and Jacob had a well. It's wonderful that Jacob has a well. The Jacobs of this life have a well where people who have sinned can meet Jesus like the woman at the well who had five husbands. Now, what people don't realize is in the Eastern Orthodox Church, that woman that met Jesus at the well that went back home and began to evangelize and testify is recognized in their church, the Greek Orthodox Church, as an apostle and history says she died as a martyr. And so it's not just that you get living water. It's that when you get living water, something inside of you begins to change. 
But Jacob has a ladder, and we're going to look at his ladder, and Jacob has a well. I think it's wonderful. Jacob has access to heaven, and Jacob has a place where he can drink now and be filled and be restored. Jacob does. I like that. Come on. Jacob's ladder. Isn't it wonderful that Jacob has a ladder that reached from where? Heaven to earth? No. Earth to heaven. Earth to heaven. There's something about the grace of God that breaks legalism and a certain kind of wrong effort off our lives. I mean, how did Jacob earn that ladder? Couldn't, didn't, wouldn't. Given. Given. We find... um Right there in Genesis 28, when Jacob dreamed, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. Where was it set up on the earth? And its top reached where? To heaven. And there the angels of God were going up and coming down. And I like that order. Going up and coming down. And God stood above it and spoke promises to Jacob. Unbelievable promises. Promises so potent... Can't get into that today, maybe next week sometime. Promises so potent that they would literally be able to bless every single family in the world. So we're thinking about Jacob's ladder. We're thinking about what it means. I want to read to you uh, a couple of comments made by 19th century German conservative Bible commentators. One, they say the ladder was a visible symbol of the real and uninterrupted fellowship between God in heaven and his people upon earth. They also said this. Now, they said this in the 1800s. The angels upon it carry up the wants of men to God and bring down the assistance and protection of God to men. Conservative German Bible scholars in the 1800s. That's pretty remarkable. Now, the order, ascending and descending, is important. Here's what the Bible tells us, that the angels are here now. They were here then. They go up and down to help us. Let's say that. No, don't say that. Let me say that again. It's aggravating to be told what to say. They go up and down to help us. Hebrews 1.14 ask this question, presuming it's true, are not, are not the angels all ministering spirits? Amplified version here. Servants sent out in the service of God for the assistance of those who are to inherit salvation. Who in this room is inheriting salvation? Yes, do you know you have angelic help? Do you remember when Peter escaped from prison there in the book of Acts? And when he got to um, John Mark's family's house and he knocked on the door and the little lady went to the door and saw him and didn't let him in, ran back in and said, the one we're praying for is here. They said, oh, it must be his angel. Isn't that strange? Do you know there's a lot of strange things we truly don't understand about the Lord, about what he does? I know as much as I'm interested in the Lord, I don't understand why he does what he does most of the time. 
I don't know why he does or doesn't heal people at a certain time. I don't know. I just try to go for it. But with all the insight I have, this is like a thimbleful. I don't have complete understanding of these things, but I do know God's at work, maybe in ways we don't see. So, Jacob's ladder, let's take it a step further. Jacob doesn't only have a ladder, we have one. We have a ladder. We've got a ladder too. I really like this. Jesus identified himself in John 1, we've got an overhead here, 47 through 51, as that ladder in his conversation with a man named Nathaniel. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel said to Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, we don't know exactly what happened there, but we do know that whatever Jesus saw and spoke to in Nathanael's life was so remarkable that he became, in essence, one of the very first people way before Simon Peter who identified Jesus as who? The Son of God, the King of Israel. So Jesus answered him, and he said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? What's his promise? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, most assuredly, now listen to this closely, I say to you, hereafter you shall see what? Heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You will do what? You will see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. First of all, in this verse, Jesus identified himself as what? Jacob's ladder. The access point. For all mankind on earth to receive and benefit from the blessing and benefit of heaven, the ultimate blessing and benefit of heaven. Remember, Jacob saw the ladder that connected earth to heaven. That's who Jesus is. And I've thought through this. Think about what a ladder is. We've Christopher's had to hang, hang these speakers and this screen. And I mean, I don't know how tall this roof is, 15, 18 feet. It's way up there. And he'd have these great big ladders, and he'd be climbing up that ladder. And here's what I rec recognize a ladder is. It's an instrument or it's a vehicle of access that's in two places at the same time. It's in two places at the same time. Where? Where you are and where you want to be. That's what a ladder is. It's where you are and where you want to be. In this case, it's in earth and in heaven at the same time. Now, it doesn't take much to convince us that we're in earth, right? But being convinced we have access or that we can be in heaven prior to death is another thing altogether. And this is where your mind can get boggled. Vehicle of access in two places at the same time. How many of you have received Christ? He's Jacob's ladder. He's in earth and in heaven. 
He's the access point. You have inside of you the ability to access heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Am, am I I'm okay here? You have the ladder inside. Every believer has the ladder inside. Does every believer understand the implications? No. No. Paul says it takes the spirit of revelation and insight. The eyes of our understanding be enlightened. But it's a vehicle access. Two places at the same time, but it's the person of Christ, but it's the Christ you have received and you're born again, believing in Jesus' experience. He's inside of you. As a word picture, we see this ladder that gives you access to all that heaven has. Now, how does this work? Ah, great question. I can't completely answer that. I'm just telling you what I've seen, telling you what I understand. Now, you may be challenged by this idea, this revelation, but it's still true. Paul makes the same point, but he does it in a different way. But he confirms it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were what? Dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Then what happened? He raised us up, how? Together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have access if we're in Christ, seated in the heavens. And God did so even while we were in our Jacob state or condition. Come on. Even when we were dead in trespasses. A lot happened to us when we got saved that we didn't see, feel, hear, smell, or know. But Paul got this revelation. And he began to let people know. But we were made alive how? Separately? No, we were made alive together. You know, when God gives you a seat, you gotta, you got to pay attention to it. Years ago, I went to uh, the Hornets when they were in the first Coliseum, actually, which was the second Coliseum. We've we got to recognize where we're seated because if we get out of our seat, God might put us back. You know what I'm saying? Sit down. God tells you to sit down, you better sit down. But he didn't tell you to sit down. He says you're seated. So I was up in the nosebleed section with my son Andy, he might have been eight or nine years old. And right about halftime, I looked down close to the floor. Now, I was with these two ladies who had season tickets for friend of the family. I looked down on the floor, and I saw these empty seats. And I said, Andy, let's go down there at halftime. And if nobody's sitting there, we'll just sneak down there and sit there. So uh, he didn't take any encouragement. We went down there. And uh, I noticed everybody sitting down there had pieces of paper writing stuff on. I couldn't figure that out. And then finally, as... Um, Right before the game restarted, uh, a person leaned over to me and said, uh, you, you've got uh, the owner's seat. And I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, that's George Shin. He's walking in over there. And it would, they were trying to save me from embarrassment. Meanwhile, the two ladies that gave us the tickets were sitting up watching the whole story. They knew exactly where I sat because they knew where George Shin sat. So I come creeping <laughs> back upstairs and sit with them, and they're just laughing at me. But here's, here's, here's a marvelous story. You need to take the seat you're supposed to have. I had a high seat. 
Spiritually, that was good. I wanted it close to action, but spiritually, you had been seated in the best place, the best place, even when we were dead. God made you sit somewhere. You need to be sure you're seated in the right place. Now, these ideas correspond to Jesus' command in the Lord's Prayer. Which one? Your kingdom do what? Come, your will be done where? On earth, in what manner? As it is in heaven. How many of you prayed that prayer this week? We need to go back to that. Heaven wants to be released in our lives, through our lives, and to our lives. Could it be? Could it be? We're in a much better spiritual condition or place than we ever realized and that God is much better God than we ever imagined. Come on. Could that be true? Could it be that Jacob, who suddenly discovered that God was, quote, in this place and knew it not, that we need to begin to believe that things have happened for our benefit that we can't normally see, taste, hear, smell, or feel? That there's more going on than just what you can perceive with your five senses. Because revelation like Paul had doesn't make sense. But it's real, and it has implications. And God can open our eyes and show us how to walk in the reality God has for us. Now, all this happened when Jacob awoke. Jacob realized the presence and reality of God when he awoke from his sleep. We need to wake up. We do. I see people on... um, certain platforms chiding the world for not waking up to see what's going on in the world. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. It's time to wake up and see what God's done in Christ. That's how we need to wake up. What if we've got more than we knew? What if we're like bankrupt beggars who've got a bank account of endless resource? We just simply haven't seen it or known how to function or operate in it. What if that's true? Because It is true. That's exactly what commentators write about the book of Ephesians. Paul comes to these people and tells them the marvel of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be an heir of God, what it means to have access. He woke up and he said, God was here and I didn't know it. How many of us need to think God's here and we don't know it? That's what a great awakening is. America's had two great awakenings. I believe there's going to be a third. Could I be wrong? I could be wrong about everything. I'm just telling you what I believe, though. But a great awakening is when many, many believers rediscover together. Together. That's such an important point. Raised up together, seated together, rediscovered together their great inheritance provided for us by the Lord. Paul affirms the same idea in the letter to the Ephesian church I mentioned earlier. Ephesians 1 and 3 and verses 7 and 8. And I'm going to read this in the past. Ooh, man, I'm on a roll. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Every spiritual. What does every mean? Every spiritual blessing. 
in the heavenly realm has what? Already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. All because he sees us wrapped into Christ, this is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. Oh, what would happen if Christians acted like Christians? Hey, I've got a friend here. Where's Mark? Mark Szymanski. Mark, stand up a second. Stand up. This man's the most... Stand up. You didn't... Yeah, see how humble he is? Get up. (laughs) This is the most authentic believer I know. If you knew the kind stuff... He's a Christian. If you want to know what a Christian's like, go get to know Mark. He ran into a guy from the Second World War that had been in so much trouble. You know what Mark did? I'm going to brag on Mark. Mark turned his porch into a room for a World War II sick vet and kept him there till the man died. Come on, Mark. Give credit where credit's due. That's, and it's because of who he is in Jesus. I just want to say that, Mark. I appreciate you. Mark's a missionary that raises up missionaries all around the world. Nobody knows who he is. Come on. Except those people. Touch lives. All over, literally all over the world. Limping around on a bad knee. Come on, Mark. Limping around on a bad knee because he loves Jesus. Thank you, Mark, for giving me an opportunity to brag on you. Verse 7, since we're now joined in Christ, we have been given the treasures. Have been given. Have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. The total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. Verse 8, the superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us. I read these things and I go, no, it's not. But it is. Paul said it was. There's another verse that says that the acknowledgement of what is in us makes our faith effectual. And what that means is until you see and agree with what God's done, your faith isn't as effective as it could be. Releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. All those verses are in the past tense, already been lavished, has been given, already working. Now, I'm doing okay. Time-wise, I was looking at the time. The second thing Jesus promised Nathaniel was what? That he would see heaven open. I'll remind you, John 1, 51. Maybe they can get back to that on the overhead. In verse 51 of John 1, Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see what? Heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. When I read that years ago, I thought, well, maybe what Jesus means is you'll see a vision, and then in the vision, the clouds will part, the blue will crack apart, and you'll see uh, angels somehow having something to do with Jesus. In other words, heaven will open and you'll see this. What does that mean, though? You shall see heaven open. Well, it doesn't say you should see heaven on opening day. It didn't say you shall see heaven when it opens. 
What does it say? You should see heaven open. It's like the Walmart. You ever call up the Walmart and ask if they're open? No, why? They're open. Open for business. Another way to put it is you should see that heaven's open, not closed. Heaven is not closed, ladies and gentlemen. It's open. Now, it means that Nathaniel would see Jesus accessing supernatural, miraculous benefit from heaven, which is open. Now, who was Nathaniel? Nathaniel was one of Jesus' disciples that came from Cana of Galilee. Now, Jesus had made Nathaniel this strange promise, identified himself as the ladder, the access point between earth and heaven, and that heaven was open, and that he would somehow see what all this means. The very next verse after Jesus told him this was the wedding at Cana. Nathanael came from Cana. He was one of Jesus' disciples. They ran out of wine at Cana because Jesus brought all his disciples with him to the wedding. And it was that wedding that Nathanael saw the miraculous miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. He saw that heaven was open. Come on. Come on. And somehow Mary felt responsible that they'd run out of wine. And I read right here in John 2, Jesus and his disciples were all invited. Mary, I don't know, she says to Jesus, they don't have any wine in the context of can't you do something about it? And Jesus said, no, not time. And then Mary, think about Mary, good old bold Mary, mother of Jesus. So then Mary turns to the servers and says, this ain't over yet. Mamas can do that, right? Mamas know. She says, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And so the miracle happened. But Nathaniel saw through the miracle of Jesus that heaven was open. I have really, um, I've, I've been so interested in this whole idea. Because what I want to do today, I want our faith to be encouraged. I want us to believe and see that God wants to do things for all of us, right? That, that aren't currently maybe going on. And so there's this idea of an open door. And in Revelation 4.1, John said, After these things I looked, and behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven. In what condition was the door when John saw it? Open. Now, this is Revelation 4. In Revelation 3, we discover that God, any door he shuts stays shut, and any door he opens stays open. 
So John in Revelation 4 sees this open door. Now, I'm mystifying all of this. I apologize for that. But I think everything Jesus taught in the Gospels were stories that we had to extrapolate meaning from, right? Well, I'm extrapolating meaning to my own personal blessing and benefit. He sees a door standing in heaven, and when he sees it, the first communication he gets is, Come up here. I believe that's what the Lord is saying to us. We have a door opened into what God wants to do in our lives. And this is what he says to us. Come up here. Come be where you already are. I've been mystified by some of the behavior of people over the last several years because of all the problem in our nation. And at one point I thought, ooh, finally I know who they are. Meaning... Their worst part. But no, that's not who they are. Here's who they are. They're created in the very image of God. They've either lost touch, lost track, or don't know who that is. Well, see, we have lost touch, lost track of who we are, where we're seated, what we have, and what God's offering. And right now, it's as though he's saying, I have an opening for you. Come up here. And John says, immediately I was in the Spirit. So the picture here is um, a promise and then an invitation and a response that brings alive the things I'm talking about. See, all of this is real, but it may not be real to us. You listening? Everything is real, but it doesn't mean it's real to us. But we need to realize Real eye, real spiritual eyes realize what God's offering us, what He's drawing us into. Oh, there's this great river in Revelation 22 called the River of God. And there's this awesome tree in Revelation 22 called the Tree of Life, which bears every manner of uh, fruit every month. Oh, that tree's, uh, it may be heavenly in origin, but it's practical. There are no months in heaven. What month is it in heaven today, Jesus? Oh, I know down there it's May, but up here it's December. No. No. Every month, a healing tree? I'm just saying. So in Revelation 3.20, remember this one, Behold, I stand at what? The door knock. Why does Jesus have to knock on a closed door if there's an open door? And where is that closed door? Well, it it was in uh, the Laodicean church. The church has a closed door when Jesus has an open door. Here's what I'm telling you. Now, this is very interesting, I think, but our spiritual connection with Jesus is like living in adjoining hotel rooms. How many of you have ever been in an adjoining hotel room? How many doors between adjoining hotel rooms? Two. We're living in the church earth room. Jesus is living in the heaven asset glory benefit room. And his door is open And our door is, and he's saying, let me in. And he says, if any man hear my voice 
and open the door. What door is that? It's really your door to your understanding. It's the door to your belief structure that either helps you in or keeps you out. Are you with me? Is that okay? An open invitation. Come up here. Now. Now, now, now. What does all this mean? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure, but I do know this. God wants to help us. He really does. And we've been so disappointed and at different times and hurt and confused. And, but God wants to help us. Let, let, me, let me do this. Let's everyone here identify, identify something you need from the Lord. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I did feel like um, some someone here. Um, I think the Lord. I think's talked to me. Two people. One person has trouble with uh, your toes. You may even have considered having an operation. Is anyone here like that? Someone have trouble with your toes? There she is right there. Rose, right behind you is a lady I want you to go pray for. Will you go back and pray for her if she'll let you? And then I felt like there was, I mean, if I said back pain, everybody in here probably wave at me. But (laughs) this was specific. It was left side from the shoulder all the way down to your gluteus maximus. Behind him, for those of you. Anybody had specific pain on the left side of their back in particular? Don't see him? Okay. Well, anyway, how many of you have identified something you want to ask God for? Are we ready to ask again? Are we we ready to, to believe again? Okay. I don't know how to lead us in this prayer because I think you need to do it. So let's just stand up. Christopher, can you turn a little music on or something back there? Is that hard to do while we can't do it? That's okay. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's posture us. Let's posture ourselves. Let's hold our hands out as though we're actually receiving something. And Father, you know every heart in this place. Lord, you heal broken hearts. You heal disappointments and fears and confusion according to, I believe it's Isaiah 60 or 61. You heal the brokenhearted. Father, you heal bodily. You provide. You provide for us, Lord. Some people are asking you, Father, I ask that you would do this, that you would now set the stage for us to receive. Lord, without worry, without anxiety, but simple ask, Lord, release to each one 
Lord, as they have asked you right now, go ahead and pray maybe quietly, but just put it into some kind of words. Put it into some kind of words this morning. Others don't need to hear you, but you need to pray it. We ask you to meet people's needs, Lord, in accordance with your riches and glory. We ask you to touch light. Lord, there's so many people who need to be encouraged. Their hearts need to be strengthened. They need to be healed. Broken hearts. Lord, we're not supposed to go through this life brokenhearted. And Lord, it's by your grace we don't work for it. Release, Lord, healing for broken hearts today. That seems to be on the Lord's heart. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He pours oil in. Pour that oil in, O Holy One. Heal, Lord. We release. We thank you, Lord. We believe you're at work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.